I had just started shooting film too, um, because I was just researching film photography and I fell in love with film photography. So I got my first 35 millimeter film camera, um, an Olympus OM1 and Ilford HP5. And I just hit the streets in Atlanta in my neighborhood and just started stopping people and asking them, hey, can I take your portrait? People who I just thought had something special and unique to their spirit, mm-hmm. who were just characters, but not pretending to be, you know, like people who are walking in their true authentic selves, you know, like that's something that I'm pretty good at feeling out. And so I would stop them and ask them for their portraits. And I remember getting that film back and being like, wow, like this is it. What's going on, y'all? You have just tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. On this show, I invite black photographers, filmmakers, editors, and creative business folks to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom. You will hear about their work, their challenges, and their inspirations. My name is Idris Talib Solomon, a creative director, photographer, and filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. So if you dig photography and you love the culture, keep your mind open and your headphones locked. This is the Black Shutter Podcast. Great stories are everywhere, all around us. We see powerful images from other cities and countries. We marvel at the beauty and uniqueness of other cultures and customs. It all feels so fresh and interesting because it is different from what we are accustomed to. And while there are stories everywhere around us, we have to remember that there are stories within us as well. We all have multiple stories to tell. And the more we tap into ourselves to find... We all have stories to tell, multiple. And the more we tap into ourselves to find what's interesting and valuable within, we can recognize the stories that are happening in our own backyards. We learn to see the beauty in everything around us and we become more appreciative of our... We learn to see the beauty in everything around us and we become more appreciative of our individual lives. Our guest in this episode grew up watching her mother photograph her family in a way that made everyone feel special. That taught her to celebrate the beauty of the everyday person, the local heroes of her neighborhood. Her goal is to amplify the voices and narratives of everyday working class black people and people of color because we all have purpose, importance, and value. Her work has been published in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, National Geographic, the Today Show Digital, ProPublica, The Guardian, and Ilford Photo. Rita Harper, welcome to the Black Shutter Podcast. How you feeling out there, sis? I am feeling good. Um, I am just running around in Atlanta. Um, like I was telling you, just getting ready for an exhibition I have coming up on Saturday. But I feel good. I was a little stressed before, but I'm starting to feel just a little bit more calm and a little bit more anxiety-free, so... <laughs> so you're in Atlanta preparing for an exhibition of of your work. Yes, mm-hmm. beautiful. Of my work. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's a good kind of anxiety. I don't know how you feel. I think that's a good kind of anxiety that your work is I being know. displayed. <laughs> yes, you know I'm starting to see it that way. Um, of course, like I'm excited about it. And I've like been very excited about the exhibition for like the past year and a half, but. Just the, you know, getting everything together and like working with the gallery and everything like that. Um, it's been a process. So I have, yeah, but it's it's good. I would say good stress when you when you step out of it, you look back and you're like, you know what? That wasn't, that was all for 
um, a purpose. It always has a purpose behind it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think there's a difference. There's a difference in the quality of stress that people have, right? I think that some folks. All mm-hmm. right. So, so this whatever chemicals our body creates for uh, a stress related to presenting your work, I think feels a little bit different than a stress caused from. I'm not gonna make my rent and my shit's gonna be out on the street the next day. Type of stress. I, I think there's a different quality of of um, chemicals that happen in our body. You know what I mean? Like that's a yeah. I, I, that's what I think. I'm actually thankful that you made that comparison um, because sometimes I'm not able to differentiate between the different types of stress. So I lump it all together. <laughs> stress, <laughs> like, like, stress is stress, right? <laughs> I'm like stress is stress, but you know what? Like you're right, and sometimes you do have to even be um, grateful for the stress that you know you're having because mm-hmm. i you know like these this type of stress i wouldn't have had years back yeah you know so i'm glad that you made that point yeah for sure for sure i mean i have to remind myself as well like am i really like getting uptight because uh someone paid me to take these photos and i don't feel like i actually captured it and it's like but i'm getting paid to use my camera and like a few All years right. ago I can't even afford a camera, and now I'm getting paid to use my camera. So, is the stress really worth it right now? You know what I mean. But it's but it's also to say, you know, we when when you're putting your work out there on the, on exhibition, you want your best work to show. You want people to receive it the way that you intended it to be received, right? And absolutely, you know. So there's there's nerves with that. I'm not saying not to be nervous, but I think. You know, I think how we deal with stress and how we associate stress, depending on what it is that we're doing and trying to accomplish, I think that can, you know, change how we, you know, experience that event. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Well, thank you for that perspective. That helped me out a lot. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. For sure. So uh, you said you're in Atlanta right now. Are you, Mm -hmm. so where are you from originally? Well, I'm from Atlanta. You're from Atlanta. Well, East Point. It's kind of, I guess, like a debate these days, but I'm from East Point, um, and that is the Atlanta area, but I moved to New Orleans in December of this year. Oh, okay. So that's pretty fresh. Yes, very fresh. Not even a year. Not even a full year yet. So what made, what prompted the move to New Orleans? I'm just a change, you know, like I've lived in Atlanta literally like my whole life, Mm -hmm. like all... 32 years of my life so just something new something different something fresh like a new place to tell stories and Mm -hmm. to find stories like that's a big catalyst for why i wanted to move to a different area too that was still rich in black culture but that had its own unique traditions and culture so new orleans is definitely um just a place that's rich in culture and traditions that they've held on to for years is a very spiritual place but mm-hmm. it still has a large black population and that's very important to me nice. but just you know for something new and fresh so it sounds like experience. you it sounds like you go where the stories are yes i love like you know um i love being from atlanta i love telling stories in atlanta but i know that my vision is to tell stories all over the world, honestly, mm-hmm. internationally, nationally, all over. So I don't just want to be confined to one place. Like I want to take the gift that I have of storytelling mm-hmm. every, you know, everywhere and yeah. find and dig stories everywhere because they are. Like I know that there are stories in 
just unheard tales that are lying everywhere. Oh, so man. I this, find them all. You know what's crazy is that uh, there's stories within ourselves that we haven't even explored. So if this story's Ooh. that close to home, there's stories mm-hmm. within our home with the people that we live with, right? Yes. Like, yes. And then there's stories on our in our building, if you live in an apartment building, like most New Yorkers. And then there's stories on a block, and then there's stories in neighborhood, city, etc. So you can go as far as where you're sitting to start telling a different story. You know what I mean? I think stories always exist, you know, and I think that... um. They exist everywhere we go. We just have to like quiet our minds and open our eyes to be able to see the stories that are unfolding around us and within us. You know what I mean? I agree with that. And that's crazy you said that because actually like one of my favorite stories that I told this year was actually about my mom um, and her Polaroid camera. So my mom had a Polaroid camera kind of just sitting around. And um, I was like, Mom, can I use this? She was like, yeah, you can see if it works. And it still worked. Mm-hmm. And actually, she told me that my grandmother gave that to her as a Christmas gift in probably around 1979. And so my mom has a whole archive of Polaroid photos that she took. And she documented family events like Thanksgiving, um, just, you know, different family get-togethers, Christmas. And she has it all organized and documented from 1979. Wow. Um, to about the early 90s so wow that's then amazing I, isn't it yeah and um i took that same camera and i've done i started to do polaroid work and i love it because you know it's an older camera so the film comes out like the dye is a little bit expired and that's cool it looks very experimental but i love it and so i wrote a story about that just how that camera was passed down from my grandma to my mother and how she was a documentarian but didn't really identify as that mm-hmm. You know, but that's what she was, um, and that's what she contributed to our family, like documenting our family history, and especially Polaroids. Like they're so special because um, they're one of ones. You know, wow. You can't really make copies of a Polaroid, so that's it's so interesting that you say that. Like a lot of a couple of the stories that I did this year were where I went a little bit inward and talked about my family and my lineage and even where, you know, my family is from in a small town called Logtown, Georgia. So I agree, like stories are international, national, but they're also inside of you, right next Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have so much respect for uh, photographers or artists, musicians who are able to make themselves the focal point of a story. You know, um, and do it in such a like vulnerable way mm. that like really exposes a lot of who they are and a lot of the, you know, um, intimate moments with themselves and with their family and friends in their community. Like, I have so much respect for artists who are able to to sort of share those parts of themselves in a way that is just, you know, really honest. You know. Um, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I I looked up um that project that you're talking about, my mother's archive. Um, oh, you saw? Oh, that's yeah. Dope. <laughs> I looked, yeah, I looked at it, it and it's, it was pretty dope. And it it actually reminded me of um this film, this uh photography documentary film called Through a Lens Darkly. Are you familiar with that film? No, say the name once more. Through a Lens Darkly. No, it's, I'll um, have to check that out. Though. You do, you do. It's by um, 
Uh, his name is Thomas Allen Harris, and he's actually, uh, I have an episode with him. And it's funny, I watched his documentary years ago, back in like maybe 2014, 15, when I was just thinking about getting serious with photography. Um, and mm. I saw this documentary. I mean, there's not a lot of black photography documentaries out there. So I found That's this one. That's very true. Right? And I watched it, and it was all about the family, the black family photo album and how important it is and how wow and how much of you know archival history and um this was our form of um of claiming our power and all, all types of like like really dope and interesting concepts in it and um seeing your that my mother's archive i felt like that documentary jumped in my head immediately and at the same time looking through those polaroids I saw my family in it. Mm. You know, I saw uh, myself. One photo, there was um, a young man in a red shirt looking at the camera, and I felt like that <laughs> resembled that resembles a photo of myself um, that was probably taken on the Polaroid, or at least thirty-five millimeter back in like the nineties. And um, so I'm looking at these photos, and I'm instantly connected to it because the style is something that resonates with me like the style of the clothes that people were in fashion hairstyles the the way the, the home is decorated all of these things have me feeling like yo that could have easily been me or my family in those photos and i think that's what's so dope about having access to that album that your mom created Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> My cousin Terry, that's who was in the red shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and just like you said, like those moments, like they take you back to just, um, I can't remember what it looks like. I can remember what it smells like. That's my Aunt Dora's house, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. And she passed away last year. Yeah, um, but her house was, that's oh, okay. Um, was it like a huge gathering spot for family events and Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas dinners. And so I'm glad that you were able to connect with it in that way, because it's very touching to me when I look at those photographs, I'm taken mm -hmm. back to that specific time period with my family. Yeah. And just to be able to have like that physical evidence of those moments is so important, you know? Absolutely. Um, it's proof of our existence, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I love those photographs. So, let me ask you, when you spoke to your mom, what like what 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 else came up in the conversation with her? Like you you like she didn't consider herself a documentarian, but she was documenting your family for at least, definitely over a decade from the 79 Christmas 79 to into the 90s. It's over a decade, right? Right. Uh, and um and then, you know, you go down the path of photography. So what 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 how did your mother's passion for photography transfer over to you like do y'all have conversations about that well yeah because interestingly enough like i said like she didn't consider herself a documentarian mm -hmm. i didn't even find out that that camera was given to her through my grandma as a christmas gift until i started using the camera but then it wasn't until i inquired with her and sat down and had like a more serious conversation with her maybe about a year ago like when i was doing the story and like okay like I know grandma gave this to you. When did she give it to you? And um, she was like, oh, yeah, your grandma gave it to me as a Christmas gift, right? But still in a very nonchalant way, uh -huh. you know, not really, um, I guess, to me, like understanding like the importance of 
you know, what happened in that transfer because she was the only one in the family with a Polaroid camera like that. So when you look at the family photo albums, um, all of the Polaroids are taken by my mom because she was the only one with that camera, right? So talking to her and explaining to her, hey, like, you know, you were a documentarian, you were a photographer. And actually, I feel like she has a real talent with it as well. Mm -hmm. That's the interesting thing, too. Like the photograph, she was able to capture a certain emotion in a certain way. And to me, it looked like she enjoyed taking the photographs, you know. Um, And that's one thing I could tell. And she's like, yeah, like I had fun taking the photographs at the family events, but just because she wants to make sure that we had those memories saved. And, um, but I don't think that she really, again, she didn't view herself as a documentarian, you know, but to me, it almost gave me chills when I realized like, wow, you were documenting because recently, maybe a couple of months ago, I found more of her Polaroid archive and another photo album, right? Where she had taken photos of like my grandma's car, the outside of uh, my grandma's house, other family events. So it was really, like I got chills, like, wow, like you were documenting our family. And then I grew up to be a visual journalist, you know? So I know somewhere in like a spiritual way, those two are connected. Absolutely. Um, but she, you know, having that conversation with her, she just is like, wow. But I remember I did take her to an exhibit that I was in once, maybe a couple of years ago, and there were Polaroids in that exhibit. And my mom was like, oh, these are like some of the pictures that I took. Paige, like my family name, my middle name is Paige, and my family calls me Paige. So <laughs> she's like, Paige, like these look like some of the photos that I took. You know, and I'm like, yes, because you know, you were documenting moments and a lot of, you know, these these are priceless moments that definitely to me, they can be considered art, you know, like fine art. So um, it's just interesting. Like she just had pure intentions, right. Of documenting our family moments. She wasn't like, I aspire to be a photographer. I'm not aspiring to be a documentarian. I just want to capture, you know, um, my family moments, which I think is such, it's so beautiful because it's from such a pure intentional place you know what's funny is I it, think no motive no motive except for to just make sure that those family moments are captured and that's so pure and beautiful to me but you know isn't that ahead. the isn't that the essence of photography yes right like absolutely it, i think i think that i think for for us right we take photography so seriously um where at one point it was a hobby and then it became a profession and then it's like you know we're out there we're grinding, we're traveling, doing exhibits, we're, we're recording right. podcasts, talking about photography, right? We're doing all types of stuff revolving around photography where somebody else, like someone like your mom, would was just interested in the result and making sure that this memory of her family exists and lasts. And outside right. of that, nothing else matters. Not, she's not trying to sell no photos. She's not trying to exhibit. Yes. She's not trying to show them to an editor. She's not doing none of that. She just wants to make sure, like, uh, at a certain point, uh, little Paige is going to open up this photo album and see all of these photos of her family and grandkids and great-grandkids, et cetera. And I think that it's important to remember sometimes, like, wow, yeah, some people just use the camera to take a picture. <laughs> And mm-hmm. and we 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 think so many steps beyond that. Okay, I took the picture. How am I going to edit this? Am I going to make it black and white? Um, should I 
Should I take this picture with my phone or should I use my camera? Should I use my digital? Or should I use my film? Bro, so many thoughts go around just taking this picture. And your mom was like, oh, smack. There's, they're laughing over there. They're telling the joke. I got to get this. Boom. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, that's fine. You didn't cut me off. Oh. <laughs> and um, I think another thing that's beautiful about it is, again, like Polaroids being those one of ones. So a lot of my family members, I realized, had never seen some of the Polaroids that my mom took because you mm. can't make copies of Polaroids, right? Yeah. So I think the last family gathering that we had, I took some photos of them and I was showing them to my family and they were tripping out. They were like, where did you find me? They had never seen them. I had naturally assumed, because you know some of those photographs that just float around, mm -hmm. you know, like throughout the family, but there hadn't been any copies made of them. And again, they're one of ones. So, so many of them, like like family members who had passed away and mm. um, they were like, oh my God, like, where did you find these? Like some people had never seen certain pictures of themselves in infancy, you know? So it's it's a really beautiful thing. Absolutely. And I think something else that comes to to mind, right, when it comes to photography is, uh, we we see the we see the end result, right? We see the photo, and mm -hmm. I think what a lot of people forget is that it also takes a certain personality behind the camera to get a certain personality in to come out in front of the camera, right? Mm -hmm. Like for, in order mm -hmm. for to get to make a really nice portrait, that person sort of needs to trust that photographer right or that mm -hmm. photographer needs to do something say something be something that makes them be their true self or at least appear to be their true self right so your mom running up with a camera at these parties and these events it to me looking at this photo album it tells me that your mom was loved within the family and that people trusted her that's the vibe that I get, you know, and that when they saw her with the camera, they were ready to, like, drop their guard and give her their honest and true self. Not everybody can do that, you know. And I'm not saying, like, that is exactly what how it was whenever your mom was around, but that's what I feel when I look at the photos. That is so beautiful because that is exactly how it is. My mom is so, 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 so loved by the family um, because we live about an hour and 30 minutes away from her hometown. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I might go and maybe she's not with me and they're like, where's your mom? Where's your mom? Where's your mom? Like my mom is very, they all grew up very close together in a small country town. So um, her and her cousins grew up more like sisters and brothers, you know? So they're mm -hmm. very tight knit and very close. So what you're seeing is being perceived correctly. Like she is very loved. So that's a beautiful, that's very beautiful that you can see that. I mean, that's, that's what I feel when I see them. Um, so, I mean, wow. kudos to you for for taking the... Uh, and, you know, you I think you only have like 12 images up here, and I know there's so many more. And I'm just like... Yo. I just found more. <laughs> yeah, but didn't you say you have an album? Yeah, so, like I said, I have an album. Um but not all of the not all of the photos because she took photos that weren't on a Polaroid as well. Mm -hmm. But those are just the Polaroids, um, and I just wanted to focus on those because that's Got the camera it. that was passed down to her. But I found more Polaroids in another photo album Yo, that's that I'm going to add to the archives. I keep digging and finding. I want to see the other photos too. I mean, but that's maybe that's a separate project. But 
there's something so interesting about looking at um, photo albums, especially by somebody who really was was adamant about you know documenting their family, like almost every event. Yeah. There's something really interesting about looking at photos like that. I would love to see some more of what what, what your mom was creating. I would love to show it to you because what's interesting too is that um, I did, again, these things like give me chills, you know, because like I did a photo story maybe a couple of years ago about um, my grandmother's house uh-huh. and the town that my grandmother's house is in is Logtown, Georgia. And so I documented just like my grandmother's house and then the space around it. Uh-huh. And um, going through my mom's photo album, these photos that weren't taken on Polaroids, I noticed that my mom took like almost an identical photo of a photo that I took of my grandmother's house, Mm. you know, without even knowing. So it was also interesting seeing that my mom, like, you know, she documented family events, but that she also just liked to take photos of random things too, like cars and like, you know, um, my grandmother's house and the land and the road and all of that. So it was very, very interesting to see um, the similarities. You know what might be cool? And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to dictate how you do your work, but it might be cool if you, when you found, when you find like certain photos that your mom took and then go through your archive and see similarities and like, uh, if there's any overlap between like a, a, the way that your mom took a photo and then you look at a photo you just took like last year and you say like, oh, wow, we saw things very similarly. You know, do like a compare yeah. and contrast type of project. That might be interesting. Yeah, it's yeah, I know it's so much that yeah, I agree that I wanna do with it because it's um like I said, it's a little bit eerie, especially since she doesn't consider herself a photographer. But the more that I look through, I'm like, Well, wait, you were taking photos of random things. Like mm-hmm. this is photo of my grandmother's car covered in snow. Mm-hmm. And another thing is yeah, she's yeah, right. And so another thing too is that um She's a great, my mom is very organized. So not only is she a great photographer, but she's a great archivist in the way of those photos, like those Polaroids are taken in 1979, but they look pristine because Mm. they were kept in such great condition. You know, I mean, pristine condition with the date written on, kept in, you know, the scrapbook with the plastic sheet over them. Like, the, mm-hmm. they're in pristine condition. Like, even when I was trying to take them out and scan them, I was like, oh, man, some of these I don't even want to touch because they've been kept in such great condition. You're not going to be the one to blame if, if something happens to that photo, right? You're like, nope, wasn't me. I ain't doing it. I don't know what I mean. <laughs> I mean. But yes, that, that photo that my mom took of my grandma's car, you see how it's like 1980 written on it? Mm-hmm. Um, but that photograph to me is just, again, it's it's amazing because there's a certain composition to it. You know, there's a composition. Yeah. You have the background of the snow. And I was just like, wow, like that's a photograph. I would definitely take a photograph like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's beautiful. Like the trees in the background and then the the... The snow on the top of on top of the car is blending in with the snow in the background, so you get this weird shape, but you can make out that it's a car. And, yeah. Uh, this, and when I saw that, right, that wasn't the typical, not typical. That wasn't, um, you know, a family photo. You know, it wasn't an yes. event happening. So that to me said, <laughs> oh. Her mom is stunting. She's a photographer. She's just not. She's just not claiming it because she saw something no. in this in this in this scene and said, "I'm gonna 
take a picture. There's no family. There's no. There's nothing alive and breathing in this photo. Yes. But she saw something in the composition. She saw something interesting there, and she decided to spend the frame to make that image. Your mom is a photographer, yo. That's what I'm saying. Okay, and so let me tell you the crazy thing too, right? So this photo of the car, and then the one, um, there's another one. It's like just the Christmas tree and the chair. And the chair. Christmas, I saw that right? one too, yep. These last, so these, like I would say like these last four, these are the ones that I found recently. So I had never seen these. So I just thought like, oh, she was just documenting family. Mm -hmm. But I just found these of like the car and the Christmas tree and the chair to see like, wow, like she was doing some still life stuff. Yeah, yeah. She was doing, you know, so I just found this out. So it's just, it's very, very, very interesting. And going back to the image with the Christmas tree and, and sorry, y'all, we, we talk a bit, we're over here talking about photos that y'all can't see. Uh, sorry oh, yeah. about that, but you know we'll make sure that you you you'll be able to see these photos because they they are pretty dope. Um, but going back to that one where there's a woman, it's the same scene of the Christmas tree, but there, there's a woman just standing there. And hold on one second, she has a white sweater. Ruby, Ruby. Yeah, my cousin Ruby. Yeah, like next to the tree, like the composition of that and the way that she stands out with that white sweater next to the tree like it's it's a great shot and and the expression on her face to me is dope also because she's not she's not cheesing for the camera she's just being regular right she's just being normal and um and to me that just conveys a certain mood you know and um i think it's it's, it's well done it's it's really it's really interesting looking at these family photos so um your mom did something she planted a seed somewhere mm. along the lines and you picked it up and watered it you know wow thank you for that for sure for sure so uh so now you know we went through like your mom has like this archive of photos uh what happened like how did you eventually pick up the camera like what was obviously your mom was into photography right but what was life like growing up in your home like how did your mom your family feel about the arts as a whole Ooh, now that's hmm okay so i didn't pick up photography until i would say my 20s i'm 32 so i didn't pick up photography until my early 20s and visual journalism, documentary photography going on, documenting my neighborhood until my later 20s. So growing up, um, I would say my first introduction into just the media space um, in general would be, I went to a magnet high school, Tri-Cities in Atlanta, and they had a video production program. So like when you go to a magnet school, you had to choose between like theater, um, like the visual arts as far as like painting and drawing or you go into like media production. So I took video production classes. So like video editing, um, putting together short films. I worked in like the new, you know, like how your school has like the, the newsroom. Okay. Well, like the news, like the news. they'll okay. have anchors that um, come on and report like the daily news in the school. This was high school? Uh -huh, this was high school. No, we didn't have none of that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so, yo, shout out to Atlanta for being ahead of the curve, man. That's why That's why y'all the black Hollywood. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, they had it to where it was like like a Fox 5 News, right? But like they had, you know, student anchors and student um, camera operators and things like that. So like I did like technical directing. So like mm-hmm. switching between shots during the newsroom. And I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so I think that's when I first just started to get my feet wet with you know, media and photography and video in general, right? But I still didn't have, honestly, like that yearning passion for it. I enjoyed doing the news. I enjoyed making the short films. They were fun, but I didn't have just like that yearning passion for it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then I went to school. I went to Savannah State, um, but I didn't finish. I dropped out after my second year, right? Um, So I was probably like 19, 20, so... I came back home and I just started getting into, I just hopped straight, you know, I guess into the workforce. I started working at restaurants, right? Um, hosting. Like at first, like my first was like at a Italian restaurant, like this horrible Italian restaurant. <laughs> the food was like terrible. So oh, <laughs> it was, really, yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> um, really bad pasta and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was horrible, but it was fun. Me and my coworkers got along. So, but I would definitely say during this time was just like a period to where like I just, you know, I could say lost. Like I didn't know what my passion was. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, so then I would say um a couple years passed, and I guess I just started thinking about, okay, well, what was something that, you know, at a point in time that I was interested in? Like that's, you know, I guess super passionate about, but just something that I was interested in. So then I started thinking about, well. I was in, you know, video production in high school and I did always, you know, I did enjoy it. It was fun, like, you know, dealing with cameras and the media visual space. So I was like, okay, let's start looking around for internships dealing with um, photography or just, you know, media in general. So I would say from there, I did like my first internship with a media company um, I enjoyed it, but I didn't stay long. <laughs> so then um, after that, that is when I think I got my first camera um, and just started doing weddings, birthdays, just taking gigs. Mm-hmm. Right. But at this point, again, like I'm just trying to find, you know, my passion. Like I'm just trying to find something that I'm interested in. I'm just trying to find my way, honestly, because I was pretty lost at this point. Um, but that's once I started doing weddings and birthday parties and headshots and things like that. Um, but still, again, like not really passionate about it, but now in the space. Um, and so then I started interning again, but this time at beauty and fashion studios. And I would say that's when I realized like I hated it <laughs> pretty much like photographing beauty and high fashion. I just did not enjoy it at all. But what I had was a great mentor, right? Like the last place that I interned at, there was this amazing black woman photographer that I worked under. You remember her name? Yes. Drexina Nelson. Drexina? Mm-hmm. Nelson. Okay. Yes. Drexina Nelson. She was just amazing. Like I had never seen a black woman um, operating at that level professionally. Mm-hmm as a photographer, you know, Mm -hmm. so she photographed everyone from Kanye West to Tracy Ellis Ross, um, anyone and everyone in the industry she has photographed before Eva, every, you know, America's next top models. And so working with her, 
was, you know, eye-opening to see the work ethic of a photographer, of a successful photographer, right? Like she was- A, si- a sister. The, yeah, you know, and just, I mean, her work ethic was crazy. She was there, you know, she had made it to that level, but still getting up every day, grinding, pushing herself creatively. I saw, okay, like she tests every other day, like test shoots. You get what I'm saying? This is a photographer who is- She's, like I said, you could say who has made it, but still doing test shoots every other day, right? Um, And she told me, she get just the advice that she would give me, right? She said, hey, like, you have to find your niche, you know? Like, like her thing was beauty and fashion, even though I didn't like it, right? That was her niche, and she had a story behind why she was attracted to this type of photography, Right. Like she's like she always grew up playing with dolls, playing with baby dolls. And, you know, she was a girly girl. So she loved makeup. She loved clothes. Right. So she's like, you have to find your niche, you know, like you have to find what drives you as a photographer, you know. And um, I think she could probably tell that, like, I didn't really it just I wasn't really into the whole beauty and fashion Um in that space, you know, photographing in the studio, you know? So her telling me that, that stuck with me, like, okay, what am I going to focus on? Because I have to have a focus, you know, because she's like, you can go, you know, like all around, shoot this, shoot that, shoot that. But if you shoot one thing, um, it just gives you more focus, one thing to focus and expand on. And that was just some of the best advice, you know, that I ever got. So, I eventually ended up leaving that internship. I stayed there for a long time, about a year and a half. And when I left, um, that's when I just started going out in my neighborhood. I had just started shooting film, too, um, because I was just researching film photography, and I fell in love with film photography. So I got my first 35-millimeter film camera, um, an Olympus OM-1 and Ilford HP5, and I just hit the streets in Atlanta in my neighborhood and just started stopping people and asking them, hey, can I take your portrait? People who I just thought had something special and unique to their spirit Mm -hmm. who were just characters but not pretending to be, you know, like people who are walking in their true authentic selves, you know, like that's something that I'm pretty good at feeling out. And so I would stop them and ask them for their portraits. And I remember getting that film back and being like, wow, like, this is it. You know, like, I had that feeling in my heart, like, that fulfillment of, wow. You found your Like, niche. I am. I found it. This this is what I love. Like, I love celebrating, like, these people and, like, feeling like I'm capturing a moment in time. Um, something that will be looked back on for historical reference. Like, I started mm. to, I was like, whoa, like, I feel this in my heart. You know, and so that's when I actually started researching photojournalism and past documentary photographers and just like researching the whole genre. And I fell in love, you know, um, just with the way that information could be transferred through photographs, whether it be about a person, a place, a business. I just became obsessed with it, you know, and so because I, I feel like whether you call it street photography, documentary photography, it's kind of, some people see it's kind of retro. It's not a, a type of photography that's at the forefront, hmm. you know, to me. And in, so, well, in comparison to like fashion and beauty and. Yeah. And photojournalism. Yeah. Yes, yes, photojournalism. 
so that was it for me just finding just going out like interacting with people like right in my neighborhood you know and the stories were just right here right in my backyard so and um yeah and then just meeting these people that to me were just stars to me in their own right right like Mm. you don't have to be like a celebrity or a model or a rapper like um that's great as well but there are everyday people like right in your backyard who are just as interesting who have just um as many amazing stories to tell about their life experiences so i just so that was it you know that's that was my journey into you know documenting um in the way that i do now what's up family If you're enjoying this episode, do us a solid by leaving us a five-star rating or reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. We appreciate the support. So on that note, we're going to get back into the show. Peace. Wow. So uh, you dropped a lot on us, right? So I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, no. It's it's great. It's great. It's great. Um... I think it's it's always I always enjoy when when people tell their story, right? Because you know, you you're trying to trying to summarize the different events that happened over the course of many years. Many years. And you right. you and and do that in like 2 minutes, 3 minutes, right? Like there's a lot of gaps, there's a lot of things we forget about, there's a lot of people we forgot about that helped us. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so hearing your story is just, it was, is really interesting. And, um, I just want to go back and touch on a few things that you mentioned. Right. So one of the first ones I think is really important is that you found a mentor. And yes. I think a lot of people underestimate how important and how powerful it is to have a mentor and, so it, it would be great to have a mentor for like a long time for like your whole career if 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 you're blessed to have that but even you know a mentor who's there for that period of your life where you need a little bit more guidance like you ever like these new cars right these cars that have like the steering assist where you're driving and you sort of getting getting out of your lane the the steering wheel will automatically push you back into the lane that's mm-hmm. what we kind of need mentors like that at different phases of our career when we sort of go off track and it's just like, hey, 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 get, you, right. get, you need to get a little bit back focused right over here. You know what I mean? Um, so talk to us about how important it was for you to have this this um, this sis who's doing it at a high level sort of um, take a little bit of interest in you to, to give you that guidance that you needed. Yeah, it was, um, like I said, for me, just just seeing it. Right. Like just being in the room and seeing the possibility, you know, that this is possible to operate at this level and make a living like that was everything for me. You know, and again, like I stayed there for about a year and a half, but she, man, just that one sentence like, hey, find your niche, you know, like what will people specifically come to you to hire you for? You know, Uh Um, and she didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? No one like, you know, no one has to take that time to try to pour into you. So to me, it was very um, important just to, again, like to be honest, just to be able to see it, you know, because I had never seen someone operating 
at that level in that capacity and see what it really takes. You know, like that work ethic is something that I still always remember certain things about business and how you have to, you know, you got to be a little bit tough. You know what I mean? Now that I'm in a position to where I'm like, okay, working with different publications and things like that, I can remember her saying, okay, boom, you need to always ask for more in this situation, in that situation and how to go about that and how to, you know, stand up for yourself and, you know, and different things like that. So that was, um, it was beautiful for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I said, it's important to have like that, that, uh, that elder mentor, someone more experienced, just drop yes. a few gems on you and then sometimes yes. just disappear. Um, for, yeah, exactly. Right? For me, mm-hmm. for me, um, I was taking a continuing education class at the International Center of Photography and wow. I had this French photographer. His name was um, Frank Fournier. And uh, I met up with him one day to get a drink and to show him some work. And... At the time, like, I was just showing him a bunch of random photos. And he was flipping through them. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, can I be honest? With his French accent. He was like, you're showing me a lot of nice portraits, nice photos, but anybody could take a random nice photo. I was like, Mm. okay. He was like, what? And, And call it a portfolio, right? He said, but what I, my suggestion to you would be to, Go and find a story that you can tell, that only you can tell, something that's important to you. Go out there and photo, start photographing it. Spend a few weeks, a few months, spend a year photographing that one story, right? And the more stories you photograph, you're going to come away with strong images from each story. And the strong images from each story is what you put together to call your portfolio. And I was wow. like, oh. Shit, that blew my my mind, right? So almost immediately after he he dropped that jewel on me, I would say within a few me within a few weeks, I had started my first um, documentary project because he had dropped that he had planted that seed in my head, and ever since that project has like opened up more doors for me, and it was a great starting point to help me think about storytelling from a project perspective as opposed to. Um, just like one-off shots, you know, and that was huge for me, you know. um, Wow, that's amazing, and that's amazing advice. For real. I tell that that to to young photographers all the time um, because it, I saw how, I saw how helpful it was for me to get focused. Like, it's one thing Mm. to, you said you were a little lost when you, you, you left school early and you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do, and then you found photography. And then, so what's so crazy about the craft is that even within photography, we can be lost, right? Like, yes, we, we could be yes. lost outside trying to figure out what we want to do. It's like, all right, cool. I found photography. I want to do this. And now we lost within photography. And then it's like, do I do fashion? Do I do yes. documentary? Do I do yes. still life? Do I do weddings? Do I do photojournalism? Do I do whatever brings a check, right? And, exactly. And what can happen with that is we can be really good, talented photographers, um, but without a a clear direction on our compass. And after a few years of making work without a specific aim, our work doesn't look like it has a theme. It doesn't look like we 
absolutely know what it is, who we are as photographers. And yes, finding that niche is important. And you know, looking through your work and hearing you tell your story about, you know, um, you left school and you did some some beauty and you realized like, nah, that ain't it. This ain't cutting it. I see what I what I what I found interesting about, you know, some of your stories and your projects are that they're not typical projects. If I get the sense that when I look at your images that you was sort of like uh, you you wander, I could see you wandering around and then seeing somebody interesting and stopping them and gift of gab, allowing them to, you know, be photographed by you, right? And I see you going around doing all these different types of stories that aren't like typical, you know, um, and I just get that street photography vibe from you, but still based around people and 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 their portraits not just like random events happening on the street does that make sense yes absolutely that makes a lot of sense actually because um yeah a lot of the personal stories that I come across they happen to me in just such a spiritual way and like how we cross paths Mm -hmm. you know like I like to say like my best stories have found me in a way or we found each other Mm -hmm. You know, if that makes sense. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, like it. The people that you photograph, it almost looks like they knew you before you showed up with the camera. And looking at these images, that that a lot of them are shot on film. Um, I, I, I get that that vintage retro feel of looking at your mom's polaroids and 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 the energy that your mom was able to bring out of the people she was photographing i get the same vibe from these people that you're photographing and it's a very is a very intimate connection you have with these people you know um and and it looks like it feels like you are at home with the people that you're photographing. Like there's a comfort, there's a certain comfort that they that they that they embody in these images. You know? Um so I think I don't know what it is that you do. How do you actually approach people to to, to make their images, but it's definitely something that not every photographer is able to do. Wow. Thank you for that. Um, Because a lot of times my approach is just being my natural, quirky (laughs) self, you know, Uh, like I don't have like a script or anything. You know, I just go with organically and just really, truly what I feel. So if I see someone like one of my favorite stories this year, too, was, um, well, since I moved to New Orleans, I met an older man named Spider with a friend Jess while we were walking through Treme mm-hmm. in the seventh ward. I love I love this photo of Spider Man sitting in the doorstep. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My God. Beautiful. Thank you. So um this was like right after the gumbo festival. You know, it's like when <laughs> festival season comes in New Orleans, it's like gumbo fest, crawfish fest, vegan fest. It's always like some kind of festival. So this was like right after the gumbo festival and we were just while I parked right by where his house is at. 
because parking in New Orleans, you just usually like park on the street. Like it's not a lot of parking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, we walked past and he was sitting really like right out on his steps, just like this, except he didn't have. OK, so let me tell you how it went. So we walked past and I was telling my homegirl, I was like, yo, he looks so dope because you see, he just had his beer. He had this radio. That's a radio. It's like an old school radio. That, was right that there. a um, Makita? <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. I was like, what? I had never seen a radio like that. That was my first time seeing Man, a radio. I thought that was a sewing machine. <laughs> yeah, it was It was a radio blasting the best old school R&B, right? And so nice. I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to ask him for his photograph, right? But there was also something about, like, he just has such a large presence, yeah. you know? Like, something about people, when you come across them, you can sense when they are truly walking in themselves. Yeah. I see it. You know, like with Spider, someone could have had on the same hat, could have had on these same shoes, but, could have had on the same shirt, but still might not have had that presence that he had. They don't own it. You get yep. what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, and not own it because it's really what comes from within and exudes out. You know? Absolutely. So also what, to me, it's a really also what thing. you're able to bring out of them though. You know, yeah. because, yes, yes. you know, like you approach them in your way, in your style, and you were able to make these images, right? Whereas, mm -hmm. and, and, it, and sometimes it could be how you present yourself, what you're wearing, uh, mm -hmm. how, you, how you have your hair, makeup, what colors you're wearing. You might have on somebody's favorite color, and that just opens mm. them up. You know, like there's so many variables, you know? Right. And I can go down there. And asked to make his portrait, and he'd be like, "Nah, fam, I don't know you. <laughs> I'm gonna go back to mm. my, I'm gonna go back to my sewing machine music. You know what I mean?" And <laughs> so I think who we are as photographers also determines how we are able to make images of other people. You know, um, so yeah, he's def he definitely feels present. He definitely feels like he owns who he is in these photos. And I think that's also in collaboration with you as a photographer making these images, you know. I know mm -hmm. you say you don't have a specific approach, right? But Right. But if you were to go speak to, say you were to go back to your high school, they, they right. invited you back and there's a photography program and it's about making street portraits. You don't right. have a specific approach, but what are you going to tell these young people who are interested in making street documentary portraits? Like you got what what jewels or suggestions or tips would you give them to make sure that they walk away with like really strong street portraiture? Okay, and I do think that's a good question because I do think that I have a pretty high success rate when it comes to requesting portraits from people, mm -hmm. and I think my best response always comes when I am literally just being honest and authentic to who I am. Does that make sense? So when I approached Spider, I said, yo, I was like, hey, first you want to let them know what you do, right? Hey, I'm a documentary photographer, visual journalist, however you would like to define it. Mm -hmm. This is what I do. I document stories in the black community. I take portraits in the black community. I think you look super dope. I would love to make a portrait of you, right? Do you say, and, do you uh, do that? Do you emphasize that? that I would love, like... Do, yeah, do, like, if I'm, like, I'm very, like, again, like, like, it's not scripted. I'm not trying to come across, it's like, I am a professional, but I'm 
genuinely in these moments when I meet someone that I feel has that fiber, I get so excited. Mm -hmm. So I express that truly authentically, like, yo, I would love to take your portrait. I think they can feel my excitement, you know, and I have no ill intent. I have no malice to show you in a negative light. And I think they can feel that, Mm -hmm. you know, but when I come across people, like I get excited. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like I would love to take your portrait. Like, could I feel like I would love to, you know? And um, like with Spider, his response was, which I was nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, he was all stupid. He said, do you really want to do this? And I was like, huh? I was like, what? I was like, what? (laughs) Excuse me? And he's like, do you really want to do this? And I said, yeah. And he was like, okay, I got to go get my hat. And so this Ah. hat that you see that he had, he didn't have that hat on at first, but he was like, okay, if you're really going to take my picture, we're going to really do this. I'm going to go inside. I'm going to get my little Cuban fedora and we're going to really do this. (laughs) Wow. So if you look at the photos, it just, it looks like you saw him with the hat and he had that vibe already. So he, he, he elevated it. Right. So when I came by, he was sitting here with the radio but he didn't have that hat on mm-hmm. you get what i'm saying so i walked past and i said yo I, you know explaining what i was like i would i was like can i take your photos like i think you look so dope so cool like and i'll tell people like let them know why you want to take their portrait yeah you get what i'm saying yeah. like and just be honest about that like i think you look cool i think you look dope i love your hat i love your hair mm-hmm. i love your energy and people will be receptive to that because you're being honest yeah you know what I mean? So with Spider, I just say, yo, so he, yeah, he went inside and got that hat because he didn't originally have that hat on. But he was like, okay, we're going to really do this. We're going to really make this fly. <laughs> so um, he came outside with that hat on. I love this photo, man. Like, the, wow. the one I'm looking at, you have, I think, maybe four or five of him. Um, yeah. The one I'm looking at is a straight shot. And he's, he has the, the beer in his hand with the with the holder. And... What I like about it, especially now hearing that he didn't have the hat on initially, the hat has mm-hmm. this red wrap around it. Yes. <laughs> so then you have that red, and then there's a little bit of red on the um the logo on the shirt, and then is the red um, you know, uh beer sleeve, and then there's like that little peak of red down at the bottom right. And I love how all of those little red accents come together. Especially considering that he didn't have the hat on initially, so when he, he put that hat on, it just for me it just it just brings the whole composition together with all those different pops of red. Like it's just it just makes it a more interesting photo. Wow, yeah, I love this too. Like this is some of my favorite work, just because also like afterwards, like we sat and talked for hours, hours just about his life and the history of the neighborhood. And we were like, you are our grandfather, <laughs> you know? So um, he really became someone who, like, we still stay in touch with. He took us to an old school bar the next week, you know, called Hank's um, in New Orleans. So it was, you know, it forged, like, a genuine connection, you know? And those are the moments that I love the most. Yeah, I mean, that's the power of photography. You know, that's the power mm-hmm. of photography. Um you can bond over an image or you can bond before taking an image, you know, um, and, and, and it can last for a very long time, that memory. Yes, yes, yes. I'll never forget it. Like, I'll never forget that moment, ever. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. So you left college early. Mm-hmm. You came back. You, you worked in restaurants and hospitality. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. did a couple of internships. Uh, you realized what you didn't like, then you found yes. what you like. Yeah. Right. So help us fill in the gaps. Like, at what point did you get your first big break, or what you considered um, the big break that let you know that you were on the right path? Okay. So let's see. Ooh, because it's still, like I said, my journey has been so unique. So I would say in, let's see. Okay. I'm going to break two moments down, right? So I got, and so BT was doing something where it was called Artist in Residence uh-huh. to where they chose different artists and they would take over their Instagram account for the week, posting their work. You do a behind the scenes documentary video of you going out and your process as an artist. And so that was a really great moment. Um, right. So that was like, that was probably like my first time working with a major platform. So this was in 2019. Right. But then that happened with the thing with BT and nothing happened for, you know, a long time after 2019. So I would say my first break in the visual journalism world, right, which is crazy. So this was in 2020 and, you know, the world was like literally just like inflamed. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but what was crazy about this is again, you know, um, my mentor, Draxina, she had gave me that advice, like, okay, find your niche, find what you want to do, you know, and, you know, like hone in on that. And so I was doing portraiture, right. Starting in about 2018, but then I started to expand and tell my own photo stories in my neighborhood. All this is going to connect, I promise. So <laughs> I started telling, you know, photo stories about black businesses, um, different things happening just, you know, in my neighborhood. I did a story about an urban farm and, um, what they were doing to feed the community with organic foods and things like that. So I told myself at the top of 2020, now this is before everything started happening with COVID and, you know, um, the riots and whatnot. I told myself, okay, like you need to strictly focus on documentary work because before even I was going out of my neighborhood, I would still do creative shoots here and there, like in studio and things like that. Right. But I was like, okay, you need to really shift and just, mainly just only focus on documentary period you know don't do any other creative shoes don't photograph dancers or you know anything else studio portraits just focus on documenting your neighborhood and telling stories so that's what I was doing in 2020 and um boom COVID happens and I do a story about a taekwondo master that lost his (laughs) I'm um, on that one right now, as you say, as you talk about it. Right. And so that was a story that I did. And when I posted it, a lot of people were like, oh, my goodness, like, this is horrible. What can we do? Because that's a pretty legendary, like, fixture in Academy mm-hmm. in East Point, you know? Um, it kind of just becomes, like, synonymous with the background in East Point. You walk by and you hear kids just practicing Taekwondo. So... I had a filmmaker who hit me up and she said, hey, we should do, um, do you want to, maybe we can collaborate, do a film, see if we can get a grant and give him the money. So boom, we did that, got a grant, got him the money. Um, Right, which was really cool, which was really, really, really dope. And so, hold on, I'm going to look at a timeline right here because I need to make sure that I have this correct. (laughs) Okay. So, yes, okay, so boom, did that. 
okay. So I'm going to be very honest too. Around this time, I was like very depressed because I felt like things just weren't happening as fast as they should have been, you know, mm. or could have been. So I was really, really down at that point. Like I was really, and right. 2020 was the year that I turned 30. So I remember telling myself like, yo, if stuff don't pop off, like, I, like you know, just because I was like, I need to sustain myself. Like, how am I going to make, mm-hmm. you know, a living? That's what I was telling myself at the time. So I was like, you know, things will pop off in a couple months. Like I'm done. Like I can't, you know, like I can't do this. Not, you know, at this capacity because I'm this, at this point, this has been like maybe three, two, three years where I've been consistently going out every single day, you know? Um, and you're spending a lot of money because so, you're shooting film. You shouldn't read I'm shooting it. film. You shouldn't you read in format? Sh- yeah, well, at that time, 35 millimeter. Okay. So, but still, you know, like developing all that, boom. Yeah. So 2020 happens and then, you know, um, the thing, you know, everything happens with George Floyd and all that's happening. And I get an email from someone who's like, hey, I'm from the Today Show. And we're looking to interview photographers um, about what they're photographing when they're not photographing COVID and things like Black Lives Matter. And I was like, what? Like, at first, I kind of just ignored it because this is my first time getting an email like that, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. from a photo editor at a publication. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. And then he emailed me again. He was like, hey, I'm from NBC, the Today Show. I would love to interview you. I came across your work. I was like, okay. So that was like my first big, um, you know, time, like being featured on a major news platform, the Today Show. So they featured seven of us. And I still, I don't even know how he came across my work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, whoa, like, this is okay. Like, hmm, we're getting somewhere. And then another photo editor hit me up from Business Week. Like, hey, do you have any photos for protests? And I'm like, okay. Like, you know, and again, this is, these two situations are the first time that this is happening. So mm-hmm. I got featured in that Today Show article. And um, that was when I was like, okay, Wow. So then after that, everything just started snowballing. Um, I got a grant with National Geographic to cover stories about COVID-19 in my neighborhood. And then they featured some of that work in a Nat Geo article. We got the grant um, to do the COVID story um, for for the Taekwondo story. So Mm -hmm. So we were able to make a film about that. So we're almost done with, we're getting ready to exhibit that in November. But yeah, so that was the first time I was like, okay, you know, um, now, now, you know, like, I feel like I'm actually getting somewhere because I was super close to just giving up. But the Today Show happened, got the grant with National Youth Graphic, got the other grant, um, and then I got, oh, I also got a grant with Sprite, mm. you know, for, um, again, COVID, they were like, okay, artists. And they, so they had an art show, like, okay, we'll give you a grant and then you produce some art and we'll have an art show for it. So I applied for that. Boom. Got it. So things so money's just, just money is just like, money's just flowing, like flooding in, flooding in. It was crazy. It was crazy. I was like, wow. Like I was literally this close to giving up. And then things just started snowballing grants, um, press and, just before I wasn't getting any of that. Like I was doing group shows and exhibiting my artwork, but not any major, especially mm-hmm. since I had decided like, okay, 
I want to go into editorial photography, photojournalism. I'm just finding out about this industry. I'm like, wow, like how do I get in? But it mm-hmm. seemed like I couldn't. So then, um, yeah, so that <laughs> that's the beginning of that. It's so much more to it because also, um, you know, Dana Scruggs. Yeah. So she had done an interview because I was also perplexed about how to enter the editorial space and start getting work. And then she then a whole interview where she laid it out about how she goes about getting work, you know? So if I ever were to meet her, I would definitely thank her. <laughs> nice. Um, but she was basically saying how, look, you go on LinkedIn, you find photo editors, connect with them, you email them, and that's how you get work. So during that time, I also started to do that too. Like, hey, reaching out, like, hey, you need someone to cover this? Hey, you need someone to cover that? Sharing my work, right? And um, just how the universe works, since I had been out documenting my community for about three years, I had a wide portfolio to be able to show editors, mm-hmm. right? Um, a concise you know, a concise portfolio of portraits from my neighborhood, you know? So I had all of this work stored up that I could show them, you know, even though I hadn't been on assignment yet. Right. And, um, I was on LinkedIn and I remember I was just shooting my shot, different editors. And there was this editor from the wall street journal who was like, Hey, like, I really like your work. Um, I want to get you in our system. So I was like, okay, cool. So, Crazy enough, she was like, hey, I have an assignment for you. And I was so excited, right? And um, she was like, I want you to photograph this burger joint. But the burger joint closed down because of COVID, so I couldn't do that assignment. But it got me in the system with the Wall Street Journal. So I started getting assignments from them. Their editors started hiring me for things and stuff like that, right? Um, this is crazy, And then, okay, this is a really important point, too. After the Today Show, right, that gave me a lot of exposure to different photo editors. They started following me from there because I was in this article with prominent photographers and photojournalists, you know. So um, there was a woman who followed me from the Washington Post, right? I know I'm going, I know I'm rambling, (laughs) but I'm trying to make it make sense. I get it. I get it. Uh, okay, so there was a, okay, go ahead. No, no, no. This is this is good. I mean, you you still you still on track as far as the snowball effect of, you know, um getting the first few calls and then eventually that leading to more calls and and you going on LinkedIn and using that strategy, right? So, um yeah, so I would say continue. Okay. So when I got the article with the Today Show, photo editors started following me from different publications. There was a woman who followed me from the Washington Post. Now, I had just done a story in my neighborhood about a nursing uniform store, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was driving down the road and I saw this car. I was like, that car looks dope. So I stopped at this establishment that I had seen in our neighborhood for like 30 years. Never known what it was, but it was just aesthetically so pleasing. I was like, come take a picture of the car. The guy comes out, who's the owner of the shop, and then I said, hey, is this your car? Can I take a photograph of it? He said, sure. And then I said, actually, you know, what is this business? What is this establishment? I never known. And he said, oh, this is a nursing uniform store. You know, um, I took this over from my mom five years ago. And I was like, what? You know, and so um, me and him just start talking and I was like, 
no one's ever done a story on this place because it's an amazing story. You know, he was a truck driver. He had no education in the healthcare field, medical field at all, but he didn't want his mom to sell the business to someone else. Mm -hmm. So he bought it. He took it over from her, you know, and it's called Margie's Uniform Store in East Point. Yep. And um, at that time, he was opening his doors 24-7 to nurses because nurses were burning their uniforms. They would always need uniforms. So he was staying open till like 2, 3 in the morning, right, just servicing the nursing community because his store was also right across the street from the hospital. Oh, wow. It's right across the street from the hospital. And this is on Cleveland Avenue, right? Like, this is like, you know, an interesting area. Um so basically I took that story and I pitched it to the editor who followed me from that Today Show story, right? I just messaged her and I was like, hey, can we have some time to meet? And just crazy enough, the story was so timely, right? It was she was a health editor, health and science. Uh-huh. So I picked the perfect editor to pitch it to, right? So she was like, Well, I'm gonna pass this around and see if anybody, you know, wants to work on this story. And I was like, okay. I was like, I'm not going to get my hopes up. She emailed me right back and was like, hey, two editors here love this story. Dumb. Right? So it ended up running. It was the cover of Washington Post business. Like, it was the cover. Like, him and that car is the cover. was the cover of the business section. That's dope. Yeah, amazing. And then it was on Road to Recovery. Like, they loved that story. They said it was, like, one of their most well-received stories. So, and that's still hanging up in his shop. Um, because me and him are, like are really cool too. And so I'll always go by that shop and it's hanging up and I just always look at it with so much pride. But, um, like that was a huge moment for like the community for, you know, it, it was just amazing. So just, that's how things just start to really, like really pick up, you know, like just during that era of like COVID, you know, I was just, I just like the work that I did was just, I was in like a really good position, you know, to be able to get, different opportunities you know so i was able to get into editorial work start getting grants and things just started snowballing from there that's that's great yo and and you know um the pandemic was different things for different people right some people some people had a really really tough challenging um pandemic experience Uh, some people lost loved ones um, got really sick themselves and had some really big scares and other people were able to birth new ideas and birth new projects and some people um, got their health in order some people you know got their finances in order like it right. was it's been so different launched new careers and businesses all types of different experiences for everybody right and I think it's just really interesting that for you um you know your one of your first big breaks was, not even celebrating your work because you know a lot of photographers are the the first big break is being called to photograph something but your first big break was uh you know the today show featuring you and yeah it revolves around your work but they're putting you front and center Mm -hmm. and and that's really that's mind-blowing right there and then that opened up so many more doors because when they feature the person then people start to have a vested interest in who you are, who Rita Harper is, right? Yes. Before they absolutely. even before they even start looking at your photos, um, so that was a really interesting turn of events for you, um, and it's pretty dope to see how all of that sort of like uh, continued to progress for you over the last two and a half years. Um, 
you know, now that the world is sort of reopening and things are getting back to a, a different kind of normal, uh, how do you see the rest of, like, how do you see your career sort of evolving from this point? Um, well, like I said, that time, again, like, it was a really hard time for the world, but, um, man, but it, I guess that was a time that I got my start, so I was able to get um, in the door, in the wor- in the editorial world and whatnot, so as far as, like, my work evolving, I feel like one thing that I've always, I guess, like, prided myself on is, like, I've always, like, been about this work before, you know, even before the pandemic. So this is work that I'm really committed to and it's my mission. So I'm going to continue to do this work, but I see it evolving just in, or are you saying how has it evolved or how do I see it evolving? How do you see it evolving? Okay. So I'm committed more now to telling these personal stories. So kind of like the story that you saw about Spider, uh-huh. I want to continue to tell stories like that, like different nuanced stories, um, writing. I want to incorporate more writing into my work. Um, and just tell different stories from different perspectives. So I have about hmm, two more stories that I have, but I'm trying to I think release them on a separate platform, like create like their own world, its own world, like its own site for that. Um, But I just want to go deeper with the stories, you know, and travel and just get as many different perspectives as I can and sit down and talk to as many different types of people as I can and just make sure that they still have a thread of uniqueness to them. You know, like I'm very particular about a story that I'm like, oh, I know that this is a great story. So... Yeah, so for me, that involves traveling, right? Like going to different places, whether that's California, Minnesota, Africa. That's really how I see my work evolving, by traveling and telling these stories in different places to show, like, our connectedness, you know? Like how we're all in different places and, you know, our regions do affect our circumstances and how we're going to grow up and the different things that we experience, but how we still have this human um, connectedness. So, yeah. This is Rita Harper, and you are tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who tuned in to this episode. Thank you for listening. The Black Shutter Podcast is hosted by me, Idris Talib Solomon. To subscribe to the Black Shutter Podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. When you get there, show us some love by dropping a five star rating or leaving a review. This will help with our rankings, which essentially helps more black photographers get exposure. Make sure to check us out online at blackshutterpodcast.com to read the show notes, learn more about our guests, and check out some of their work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peace. Until next time.